Hi there, and welcome to the Praying Christian Women podcast. I'm Jamie Hampton, and today I'm really excited to be back with Julie Plagans. Julie, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jamie. I'm so excited to be here. So Julie, if, for those of you that joined us for our conference um, last January, Julie was one of our speakers and um, she talked about um, toxic relationships and how to set boundaries in relationships and find healing in some cases. And um, today we're going to be talking specifically in kind of a different area, um, just kind of a Q&A about her book, Estranged, Finding Hope When Your Family Falls Apart. And I just believe, Julie, that this is um, this this idea of family relationships, especially toxic family relationships, and how to navigate them biblically and in a God-honoring way is so needed. So I just really appreciate you sharing your story and and kind of sharing what you've been through and how you've sought God in your own journey, because I know it's going to really help a lot of people on the other end of this. Oh, thank you so much. I'm <laughs> I'm glad my story can be used to to help other people because I certainly don't I would like to compost it <laughs> and turn it into something good. <laughs> I love that. That that is the picture that I have of what God does as a redeemer. It's compost. It's taking mm-hmm. the the stuff that we would not call good and redeeming it and not even, you know, repurposing it for his purposes. And I just think what a wonderful God that does that. He doesn't, Mm -hmm. he doesn't always keep us from the bad stuff, which I know we would like in many cases, because it can be painful. It can be traumatizing Mm -hmm. in some cases. Um, But to know that in the midst of this world, that the trouble that we have, that he is a redeemer is everything. So absolutely. Before we get into your book, which um, and your story, um, we I, we always like to ask our guests, "What is your favorite prayer closet?" So you know, in air quotes, prayer closet. Where do you go to feel close to God to pray? Well, I would say two places. One is where I have my quiet time during the day. And um, if I've got a nice comfy ch- couch or chair in my living room, and I've got all my books and things and uh, resources to read and pray and do that. But I think I've done more spiritual warfare laying in bed at night. I think there's mm-hmm. a hole in my ceiling. <laughs> I love <laughs> Just that. Straight through. Um, I would say I, I pray more laying in bed at night when I can't sleep. I love that. I love that there's a hole in your ceiling. That's a good, that's definitely a good one. Um, comfy chair is, is one of the top ones that we get. I would say we need mm-hmm. to compile. I think we need to go back and do like kind of compile all of our answers. Um, <laughs> outdoors is another big one, you know, mm. being in nature, comfy yeah. chair, but I, I love the in bed at night. And one of the real benefits, like just last night, I kind of went through this is, I mean, I'm, I tend to be a worrier and, and I'm, I mm-hmm. fight against that. I have this, you know, I'm, I, I want to change the warrior into warrior. I want to be a prayer warrior oh, and, okay. you know, transform those worries into good things. But, um, but that's what I do a lot of times at night is I just take the, the invasive thoughts that, that make me keep me up at night and yeah. transform those into prayers. And a lot of times, honestly, it ends up ending in me finally falling asleep while I'm mm. praying, which I mean, <laughs> is there any better way? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, 
Well, let's get into this story, just your own personal story. You shared your story um, during our conference, but I would really love to just ask you some more questions about it. Um, so could you just, for those who did not maybe hear your original story um, in the conference, could you just tell us a little bit about um, the events that led up to you becoming estranged from your parents? Yeah. Um well, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. I still live in Dallas. And um, I, my parents at a very young age, uh, my grandfather actually owned an Italian restaurant. And while my grandfather was out of town for on his uh, honeymoon with his second wife, my dad got the bright idea to change part of the restaurant into a nightclub. And it was the first nightclub in Texas. And it was a success overnight. And so my parents at the age of 23 became millionaires. And they were very young, had a lot of fun. And uh, then we came along, my sisters and I, and um, it was more problem than they realized. And we had the biggest house in Highland Park and did all the things that my dad had acts from Vegas to Dallas. Um, he discovered some people. He was uh, really big in the nightclub business. And um, I didn't fail to mention here that my dad's full-blooded Italian. And uh, so... We had nefarious, uh, how do I go about saying that? <laughs> Let's just go there, Las Vegas Italians. And that's where we'll go with that. Um, anyway, so that kind of, um, there was there was some interesting family dynamics with that. And so I grew up in a family that was very unhealthy. And um, that kind of uh those kind of people that surrounded my dad and surrounded our family um, really set us up for a very dysfunctional family that um, even after salvation, there were still a lot of things operating that had not come under really the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so um, my dad got saved making a commercial at uh, TV 39 in Dallas, Texas. And it's where Pat Robertson started and many of y'all probably don't even know who he is, but uh, he just passed away not too long ago, but he had a TV station there. And so that's where my dad got saved. And I was about, um, I think, six or seven at the time. And so we made a complete 180 and my dad lost his restaurant. Um, my grandparents ended up disowning him, disowned the whole family. We were a huge embarrassed to him. And um, so my dad ended up after that in the ministry, he slowly worked up, he started as janitor and then worked up to associate pastor. So we went from millionaires to preacher kids and it was a, a very big jump. And, um, when you're a preacher's kid, you, there's pretty much just two types. There's the pretty wild ones and the very straight laced ones. There's, I'm sure there's a few in-betweeners, but, um, I was the, the very self-righteous, and a pious, straight-laced child who did everything supposedly right, but we just kind of shoved everything under the rug that was dysfunctional and happening in our family. And um, and that that really took a toll on me. And it was it was just a lot to live up to. Uh, there was a lot of pressure to be perfect, and we lived in a fishbowl. And that was it. Took um, it really it was hard on all three of us, all three girls, and. Over time, things did not get addressed. We didn't talk through things. Um, my parents were, you know, they did not have parents that were Christians. And so they didn't have the good role models to 
understand how to ha handle conflict in a, in a healthy way. So um, at about the age of, I'd gotten married and, um, and I was, let's see, it was probably at our, I think our seventh wedding anniversary, I was really sick and ended up with getting a colonoscopy because uh, of my colon. And um, we, I thought I was going to die. I was that sick. I'd lost 30 pounds. And um, I just, it was, it was pretty alarming on what was happening with my body. If, if you don't know what Crohn's disease is, it's kind of the stomach ulcer, food poisoning, and um, a stomach flu all at once. It's, it's awful. And it's very hard to get rid of. My after the colonoscopy, they said I had Crohn's disease and they said that they were going to take out my uh, colon and I was going to have to have an ileostomy, which means I was going to have a bag the rest of my life. So it was right there laying in bed that I decided that I was going to walk away from my family. And I just felt like that that was causing the most grief in my life. And I knew I needed to get away from the conflict and the, um, the bickering and the just the disharmony between me and my parents. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. And I didn't know how I was going to get my husband to agree, but I knew that that was, that was the day that I decided to walk away. And do you feel like, um, was it really apparent to you that your physical symptoms were tied to your emotional turmoil and just the toxicity that you were experiencing or was that something that you were just like I don't know maybe but I just need to get this out of my life like how did you make that connection between the well, physical had, yeah um I had tried everything else and I you know I hear I don't want to blame my parents it was how I handled it and it's how I process it and how I it's all the ownerships on me it, I cannot and will not blame my parents for the way that I behaved but it was in a way it, absolutely. It was affecting my health in every single way. I was um, people pleasing. I had a lot of idols, self-righteousness. Um, I would say I was people pleasing and I cared what everybody else thought. Mm -hmm. I was more fear of man than fear of God. Um, I thought I was, I, I, you know, I put a lot of stock in being right and, you know, not working on the relationship. I felt stuck in so many different ways, but yeah, it absolutely affected my health. And, and there's so much science now that, that will tell you that unforgiveness and anger is directly, uh, involved in, in health. I so. think what you said there, Julie is so important. It needs to be like, we need to zero in on that because just the fact that you were so quick to say it was not them it was my response to them. And we all have people in our lives that are difficult or even toxic. Um, but to set that out there and say, you know, I, I could say objectively that, okay, maybe this person's behavior isn't ideal, but when mm -hmm. it comes to us, that ownership is so important. And just the mm -hmm. things that you're saying about people pleasing and, you know, perfectionist and self-righteous. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I've struggled with all of those things and it just resonates with me that we always need to bring it back to like, how am I, how, how am I responding 
to these inputs, whatever they are, good or bad, mm -hmm. how am I processing them? And that's always the right place to start. So did you have counseling or therapy at that time to help you process those things? Or was this just something that you kind of know in retrospect or um, something that you knew back then? How, how does that, how did that work? Well, I had been, and my, actually my parents had been in counseling. I had been in counseling. Um, and then we had at the time that our, you know, our relation just completely had blown up. We went to a counselor separately and that was even worse. It made it worse. And so that was the last straw. Um, so yes, we had really tried. Um, it, it felt like that there wasn't a lot of, it, there was just a lot of blaming and the, the counselors were not able to help us come to forgiveness, which is where this all needs to go. It was more about what the other person was doing and not um, how I could set better boundaries, how I could deal with what um, what was going on and, and deal with the hurt and forgiveness of it. There was such a spiritual and I eventually ended up going to counseling after I walked away from my parents and I was in for 16 months. And that was the one that helped me to take ownership of my stuff. But the yeah. other counselors had not. Okay. So you feel like the counselors were not pointing you in the direction of ownership. You, they were trying right. to tease out who did what to whom yes. and maybe try to mediate that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, and that's another, that's a really, another important point is not all counselors are created equal. And, and yeah. I've heard many people say, don't be afraid to, to counselor shop. Don't feel like this is breaking yeah. up a, a, you know, a, a relationship with someone to say, this isn't a good fit for me. Um, when you're in a counseling relationship that doesn't feel like it's helping to move you forward. Um, so you, you mentioned spiritual, what do you think? I mean, obviously a lot of working through relationship issues involves relational, emotional, all of that mental health, mm -hmm. but there's a spiritual component um, yeah. would you say that there's a way to separate the two or how did the spiritual side of it play into your realization that you needed to go down a road of healing and forgiveness or, um, bring you to that place? Like what was the relationship? What was the spiritual side of that? <laughs> I would say the spiritual is an ongoing process that has not stopped. <laughs> it is a sanctification, refining process that is constantly at work if you let the Holy Spirit into your life. And there are just layers of an onion, a chipping off of the, the hardness of that block. Um, for me, the first round was was probably working on letting things go. And um, for those of you that are ruminators and like to chew things over and over again and self-pity and, you know, what That's they me. did, what I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's very, very unhealthy. And yeah. that's, I think what made me sick and, um, oh, I could man. not let it go. And so it would just keep re-traumatizing me over and over and over again. And so I am still in the process, even after being back in, with my family for six years now, I'm still in the process of um, setting good boundaries and at the same time being unoffended. 
And that's such a, a, you know, every time I just choose not to be offended, but then I, if I need to, I set harder boundaries and say, you know what, if that behavior is happening, I think I'm, I think it's time for me to go now, you know? So it is a spiritual journey that, um, boy, I had to come to grips with the fact that I was the, you know, in the story with Jesus and the Pharisees and I was the Pharisee. Um, that was me to a T because I, you know, I'd never drank. I never smoked. I never partied. I didn't sleep around. I was, I just kept ruminating all of those perfect things that I was, I was a good student. Um, I did everything right, supposedly. And I was so self-righteous that I became unapproachable to my own children. And I started repeating back what my parents had done to me mm-hmm. in a different way. But then um, I started being the person that I was unforgiving towards. Mm-hmm. And so um, it wasn't until I started seeing some things manifest with my own kids that I was like, oh gosh, something's wrong. And I knew that I was repeating the same thing. So that's that generational curse that goes down the next generation. It's not a, you know, magical hocus pocus thing. It's a, it's a repeating because you're not forgiving. Wow. Well, I'm just wondering what, what role did prayer play? Because you're, you know, all of these events are leading up to the fact that you made a a very conscious decision to break relationship with your parents Mm -hmm. for a time. Um, and I know, you know, what, what role did prayer play in coming to that important, important and difficult conclusion? Yeah, that was a really hard one because my husband and I are very solid Christians and my parents, gosh, my dad, you know, was in the ministry for 30 years. So we were a very solid Christian family, quote unquote, and yet here behind closed doors, we couldn't get along. And so I know we were all praying and asking God to um, help us with, you know, what to do. And I, you know, I feel like my husband and I prayed even before we left, but we came to every, we just, there was nothing left to do. I was so sick. And um, we felt that was, I was caught between a rock and a hard place and that I needed, I just needed space to get away. So yeah, we did pray before we left. And if I did it all over again, I don't know what I would do the next time around because the the ramifications for leaving was way more than I ever, ever thought. But I yeah. prayed all through the seven years that we were gone. I felt so guilty, but I needed the time to heal and I needed the time to step back and not have any more, you know, things happen where I could just go back and start forgiving instead of heaping on new stuff. So it was the path that I took. And it was a hard one. It was a really hard one, but it's where I am today. And I got a book out of it, I guess, to help other people. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so what did those prayers look like? Was it God show, give me confirmation if this is the right choice? Like, did you have an inkling? This was the direction. Um, Did you receive confirmation? Did you, and, and how did you seek that out during this time? Well, the first step is I knew that the Lord was directing me to get into counseling. I knew I needed mm-hmm. help. And so that was the first thing. And, and you know, I just thought God was, 
hated me and that he was going to abandon me and that oh. I was an evil person because I was still playing into this perfectionism thing. Right. And then I'm loved by what I do. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's already done. It's not what I do. It's what's been done. Yeah. And I had to really start, I think embracing God's love was the first thing I did not. I thought God loved everybody but me. And so that was the first phase. And the next phase was, um, my dad had a heart attack right at about the three and a half year mark. And my husband and I individually prayed about it. And we both decided to go see him. And so that was the only contact we'd had with them through the whole seven years is when I went to see him in the hospital. And it was a very pleasant, very good conversation. And I thought for sure after that, that we would, you know, get back together again as a family and it didn't happen. And then it was in the last, in the seventh year that, um, I was really praying and Andy, my husband was really praying too. And the Lord individually again told us that we needed to get back to my family. And we were just like, how in the world are we going to do this? Because I'm not going to their house and they certainly aren't coming to mine. And there was just no way across a broken bridge. I mean, it was the, 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 there was ashes were still smoldering from, you know, the, the toxic burn that had happened. And there was just no way back. And so we both prayed very, very hard and God did a miracle. Can you talk about that? You, you shared a little bit about that in our last conversation. Could you talk a little bit about the details of that miracle at the end of your time away from your family? Yeah, it was, I mean, it's still, It's still really hard to believe that it happened. It was it was absolutely a miracle. Um, my husband and I had both been praying in December of 2016. And I thought, well, maybe the Lord will, you know, this Christmas, that Christmas Eve would bring us back together in some way. And nothing happened and Christmas was over. And so January came and I was like, okay, Lord, nothing happened. I know you're talking. What do you want? And he just said, I want you to fast. I want you to fast and pray. And I was like, oh, I don't like missing a meal. <laughs> and he was like, you need to fast. It's This is what's going to break it. And, you know, I was reminded of, you know, the scripture verse that talks about um, fasting. And it says um, that, you know, this is one of them that says, do not grieve or quench the Holy Spirit in whom you were sealed for the days of redemption. And I feel like that he had been telling me to fast and I had been quenching the Holy Spirit. And, um, so I finally obeyed and he brought to mind to me, Isaiah 58, six, it says, is this not the fast I've chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. Um, and so I knew that that was the scripture that, that the Lord was telling me that I needed to, this was how the strongholds were broken, not just with prayer, but with fasting. And so I pray, I fasted and prayed on a Monday and Tuesday of the first week of January. And I just, I didn't know what else to do, but just cry out to God and just beg him to do something. And I, you know, I, (laughs) I, it was more in obedience. I wish I could tell you that I was like, you know, had believed, I just had lost hope at that point, but at that, I just, just fasted in obedience because I felt like that's what the Lord was saying to do. And so I'm here to tell you, 
if there's this magic formula that you have to believe to receive, I'm telling you that is not the way it happened with me because I just did it and just said, Lord, I need a breakthrough. I don't know what you're going to do. It would be great if you do something. If you don't, I guess I'm stuck here. And I just, at the end of the fast, I just started praying, Lord, talk to my dad in a dream because he certainly isn't listening in the daytime. Maybe he'll listen at night when his subconscious is talking or, you know, that his, his gate is down and maybe he'll hear you then. Sure enough, my dad called on Friday that same week after seven years. And so he called my husband and asked him to see him. And my husband was like, yeah, okay. So he went down to to their house to see him that Friday night. And he didn't tell me, he just said he was working late. And so <clears throat> they talked. And the next day on Saturday, after my husband had some time to process and think about it and decide whether he wanted to tell me, he finally that afternoon said, I went to see your parents last night. And I was like, I, I can't believe you didn't tell me. I was kind of mad. You know, he kind of snuck off without me and didn't tell me. And he said, your dad wants to make peace. And I was like, okay. And we started talking through it. And I was like, there's no apology. I'm so mad. There's still no apology. And, and I was like, well, I prayed, you know, and I fasted and the Lord kind of moved. And so I was like, okay, that's enough. And and then by the rest of the week and my heart hardened and by Tuesday, I had be a, but a Bible study fellowship. And that Tuesday, my, uh, my leader talked about forgiveness for 45 minutes and I, you know, I keep explaining to everybody, my seat was hot and I, I don't know how else to explain it, but my seat was really hot and I kept moving around and I was looking at my <laughs> friend's seats thinking, and I, I really, I looked under my seat to think if there's something under my seat that's making it hot. I sat there for 45 minutes and could not stop squirming. And I knew that the Lord was saying, you have to forget. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, all right. I choose to forgive. I don't, I'm, I don't like it. I feel you know, very vulnerable. I don't trust them. I, you know, but I'm going to choose to forgive. It was, it was totally a, just a choice of the will, not a feeling at all. <clears throat> and so I called my parents and we talked and, and a couple of weeks later, we came down to their house for dinner. And while we were at dinner, my dad started talking and he said, I had a dream. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. I prayed for you to have a dream. And he said, yeah, he said, I dreamed it was the day before um, I called and he said I, that night I dreamed that you were sitting, you and Andy were sitting in my dining room and we were eating dinner together and we were talking and, um, and he said, I woke up and I woke up your mom, even in the middle of the night. And I, he said, Julie's coming home. And she was like, yeah, right. What, <laughs> how much lasagna did you have last night? That's not happening. She didn't really believe him, but um, he said, Julie's coming home. And uh, funny thing, though, I had prayed for <laughs> the dream I prayed for was a hellfire and brimstone dream. <laughs> it wasn't a real peaceful dream. So I didn't mention to that night that I prayed for that kind of dream. I kind of kept that part quiet. But anyways, yeah, God talked to my dad in a dream. And it was the, the week that I fasted and prayed. And he called within two or three days later. I, yes. I, I can't explain it. It's, there's, it's God brokered the deal. He, he put the bridge between us. That's incredible. And you, you just, you touched on so many important things that I want to kind of unpack a little bit. Um, but I mean, number one is just how, how kind of funny it is that, uh, and, and it's just a, a component of prayer, or not a component, um, 
a hallmark of prayer, whatever, just a, a principle of prayer, I'll call it, that mm. we go to God with what we think should happen. And so many times he re- he replies in the affirmative, but in a way we totally didn't expect. So you're praying for yeah. this, you know, fire and brimstone dream. <laughs> and God's like, yes, I'll give him yeah. a dream. And, and to the point, he's like, just so you know that this was for me and nobody else. But then the way that he delivers it is is not the human way that we would choose. It's right. not the um, I just I love that. But the the specificity of your prayer, God's timing for the dream after seven years, I mean, that is powerful. And it's just a reminder. I think so many of us, myself included, forget to ask big things and specific things because we're afraid that if we ask too specific, if we ask too big, that we'll be disappointed or that God, well, he, he's not going to work that way. He, let me, let me just give him a general request and see if that comes mm-hmm. back to me. But I just think it, I think God wants us to be specific sometimes. And I think he wants us to pray out of desperation. Um, sometimes I think we're afraid to pray out of desperation because it's like, you know, uh, well, I haven't prayed in a long time about this and now I feel desperate. And, you know, of course, now I'm going to God. Why would he want to answer that prayer? But I mean, these are all things we need. Just just go to him and and whatever it is that's on your heart or your mind, just give it to him. And I just really believe mm-hmm. that we'll start to see big things happening. So you have this reconciliation. You have this, you know, God came through, brought you and your parents back together um, but as I recall from our last conversation, it wasn't just total smooth sailing from there. Can you share about kind of how things went from that point of of the initial reconciliation? Well, it was, you know, there was a lot of tears of joy and it was a really great time that we finally mended fences. But then you get back into relationship again and the same things start cropping up that there were there that you didn't deal with before. And so God gives you a second chance, third chance, fourth chance, whatever it is to go back around the mountain and deal with it this time and start. Um, for me, it meant practicing better boundaries and saying that's not okay. And I think it's time for me just to leave. If, you know, certain things were, you know, happening at the time and it really has been more um, as my parents, especially my dad has aged, um, he has had some brain injuries and he is uh, probably not all well. And, and so sometimes it's just time for me to leave and, and that's okay. And my mom understands. And uh, I've been able, I can approach my mom with anything and we can talk through it. That has been a completely redeemed and restored relationship to its fullest. Mm-hmm. In fact, I just spent a week with her and it was so much fun. It's like God gave me my mother back yeah. and he gave me parts of my dad back. But, I, you know, it's just, uh, it's hard not to cry here because I, and the, what I wanted the most my whole life was just my mom to just to be my friend. And she has truly um, just been totally, has totally been redeemed. And I'm so grateful. And it's sad that it's, you know, we've lost so much time. And um, 
that God's a big God and it doesn't matter how old your parents are, that there's still hope if they're alive. And even after your parents die or whoever it is, you can still get forgiveness and redemption. You can still work through things. So, um, but there are, there are some bumps still with my dad and that he's just not well. And um, some of the things that were happening in the past manifests itself even more now. And so I have to be very um, smart about what I say and how long I stay sometimes and, mm-hmm. you know, just can get real agitated. And so that's hard. So it's not like everything is smooth and perfect. And and on top of that, my sister, uh, when I left the family, she had already been gone several years. So there's three girls and my oldest sister left. My middle sister stayed and then I left and I came back, but my oldest sister chose not to come back. And I, and I understand why. And I, you know, I, I pray, I've been praying, praying, praying still for the Lord to completely redeem my family and to bring all parties back together, because I think that's, would be so incredible. But, um, you know, for those of you that don't have that bow on the top of your story, I'm there too. I don't either. I don't have everything that I wanted, but God has worked in ways that I never thought possible. So um, I just keep praying. I'm just going to continue to pray for God to completely restore my family and completely. I'm the only one in my family that talks to everybody. And so that's a very difficult place to be because I don't want to you know, be the, what they call a flying monkey and transfer information back and forth between two people, you know, two parties. So again, I have to have really good boundaries, not to transfer information from party to party or, and, um, this is not easy. It's still not easy. No. And, but it's real. And that's what I love about your story, Julie, is that you, um, it's, it's real. It's miraculous. It's restorative, but it's real. And I don't think, you know, relationships are messy. And I think we look Mm -hmm. for, I know I do still, even though I know it in my brain that that's not how life is. And people are, whether it's the church that we belong to, the pastor that we have, the Mm -hmm. friends that we have, the family members, you just have these expectations of what it's supposed to look like. And yeah, and that's not real life if it's perfect. If it looks perfect to you, then it's not life because people are imperfect and um and and they're human. Um, so what I love though is that you didn't give up when things got hard again and you didn't just say, Okay, well, this isn't perfect, so it must have been the wrong decision to come back. Yeah. You again, it it goes back to ownership. You took ownership <clears throat> of how am I going to steward my boundaries so that it's possible to keep engaging? Um, so A, I know that there are people out there that might be in relationships that maybe it's not going to ever work to re-engage. Mm-hmm. B, there are people that are re-engaging and like you, they're finding that there are imperfections and they're going to need to set continual boundaries or which mm-hmm. changes as, as time goes on, probably yeah. depending on the circumstance. So could you give some advice about how do you know whether to go back or not? Um, how do you know what boundaries to set and how to go about that? Because that seems really hard. 
Oh, it is. It's really um, very difficult. And every situation is difficult. And when I wrote my book, some of the things that, you know, get comments are, well, my family estrangement's not like yours. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that there are no two similar family estrangements. They, each right. one has their own nuances of things that happen because we are unique and our families are unique and our mm-hmm. situations are, are going to always be different. But I can tell you there are some consistent themes and one of them, I would say before you walk away um, and you decide to, you know, that it's so toxic, I would encourage you to read and I am not an affiliate, but I'm just saying this is a really good book. After my book, I would um, encourage you to read Gary Thomas's book, When to Walk Away, because he defines the difference between a toxic relationship and a very difficult relationship. Oh, that's good difficult relationship that is not that is not a good enough reason to walk away you can step back not see each other as much um, and he really defines what a toxic relationship is and uh and it, it's almost a murderous relationship where it murders the relation you know just the, the the it's so difficult just to even interact because things are constantly um dying between you and he goes into real good definition about it he's he's the expert i think on that if you do choose to walk away i would just warn you of the ramifications that are going to happen to you it is going to set a precedent with your family and your kids and um, that is something you're going to need to think about when holidays and birthdays and all sorts of things come up and i missed weddings and i missed i missed all sorts of things my kids missed their cousins Um, It was a long seven years and I'm still having to unravel some of that pain that was caused even now that I've been back for six years. So there has still been um, a cleanup on aisle nine, what I say Mm -hmm. for that one. If you choose to stay in the relationship, first of all, I would encourage you just to step back maybe and don't attend as many things, still send gifts, calls as much as you can and Um, Get some time to get away and really pray about what you need to do. And the Lord will answer you. If you seek him, he will answer you on how to uh, get some idea. I would also suggest counseling to, if you are having a hard time setting boundaries. And that's where I really fouled up is because I was not capable of setting good boundaries. It was just not in my DNA at the time. I was such a people pleaser and I was more concerned about what other people said about me instead of what God said about me. And the moment I got rejection from my parents, I would just fall back into line and do whatever they wanted or said. And I needed to be able to say no and that that was okay. So setting boundaries is very difficult and it takes a lot of practice and you have to be in relationship to do that. And the people, you know, that you set boundaries with aren't going to like it all the time. And you have to be strong enough to be able to stand on your own and say, God loves me. I know who I am in Christ. I know that he is uh, for me and that I can do this and be able to live with the fallout saying no, but still do it in a loving way. And then um, I guess the other thing that I would say that plays into this is that you need to go with a lot of forgiveness. So there's times when I, you know, a lot of times when I go visit my parents, I will, as I'm driving to go see them, I will be praying the, the, most of the time that I'm going, listening to praise and worship and just really asking the Lord to surround the time that I have with them. And I just really try and enter that with a lot of prayer and go in being kind and loving and, and respectful with grace and not be triggered or on edge and just waiting for something to happen so I can leave. Um, 
I try and go in without my my mouth, you know, in a negative space and just go in with love. And sometimes, you know, I get blindsided and that's when I'm like, okay, you know, I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. I'm not going to be offended here. <clears throat> so I guess those are some things I would tell you to do, but sometimes it takes a professional to help set boundaries. It, it did that with me. I could not do this on my own. I can imagine for most people, you at least need someone in your court that's objective and on your side, mm-hmm. out for your good, but not afraid to say hard truths to you and, and reflect yeah. truth back to you, um, at the very least, if not a professional, because yeah. to be able to stand on, I mean, I, I imagine that in a relationship that you need to set very strict boundaries with, there would be a degree of like what's termed gaslighting, you know, that happens yeah. like, oh, that sure happens, you know, like basically trying to convince you that you're crazy for doing this, that you're selfish, mm-hmm. that you're whatever. And, and so I would think that you would need someone trustworthy at the very mm-hmm. least, but if yes. not a professional to navigate this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and when you grow up in a dysfunctional family, you don't really know what's healthy and what's not. And so sometimes you're overreacting instead. And and that is part of the, the process. You end up setting too hard a boundary because you're overreacting and you're tired of, you know, no boundaries being set. And there's this pendulum that can swing both ways. And it's a very delicate balance of knowing what's appropriate. And it, it does help to have a third party to say, okay, no, that's appropriate. And no, that's really not. <clears throat> so. Mm-hmm. Well, that is all so good, Julie. Those are such practical. I'm I'm taking notes as you speak so we can kind of provide a little bit of a um, list for our listeners just to look at because I think this is so important. Um, And I know we're kind of out of time. I thought, oh, you know, 45 minutes will be about enough time for us to go through this. But there's so many other things we could talk about. But but I just really would love for... um, I would, I would just, is there just one thing, one message that you have to put out there to the woman listening who is just in the thick of the struggle in, in just figuring all of this out, any, any words of encouragement or, or anything for, for women that are struggling right now in a difficult relationship or in the throes of setting boundaries or figuring it all out? Sure. I would say for, for me, control was, I wanted to control the situation. I wanted to control what they did, what I, you know, everything around it. And I realized that I could only um, be responsible for me. And so I would just encourage you to work on you and to leave your, your family members, your spouse, whoever it is that you're trying to work through things with, I would leave them to the Lord and work on you, let the Holy spirit work on you. And I just cannot overemphasize enough. Um, three things, probably prayer and fasting is what's going to break strongholds. And then the other, and if you can't fast doing food, I would suggest giving up sugar or Cokes or something that's painful, give that up. And then the last is forgiveness. And I am still understanding the depth of what Christ did for us and how much more we need to forgive others. So I would just encourage you, it's it's a layer. It's not you forgive one and done. It's sometimes it's a choice every day. And then the feelings come way after. So if it's a really deep 
hurt, then just expect the feelings to take a lot longer, but you just keep choosing every day and say it out loud. I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, I'm unoffended. So I would start with those three things. You can do this and, and you just have to leave God, you know, to he's, he is the history writer. He writes his story on your, your life and you're not the author of your story. He is. So just work on what you need to do and leave the rest of the Lord. I love it. That's great advice. Well, where can our listeners find your book estranged and connect with you online and on social media? You can find it on Amazon or any digital platform. And then you can connect with me at momremade.com. And I am on social media at Julie A. Plagans. And that's for Pinterest, Instagram, or Facebook. And I also have a Facebook group called Christian Family Living that you can join. I would love to interact with you. And you can email me at momremade at gmail.com. If you've got issues with, with family, I'd be glad to hear you and just encourage you. Oh, that's great, Julie. Thank you. Well, how can we pray for you today? I'm going to close us out in prayer. What can we be praying for? Uh, just continued restoration in my family that mm -hmm. um, all parties would be healed and forgive and that we would, that this this awful curse would not be passed down to another generation. I, I do, and I don't think it will. I've got a really good relationship with both my kids, but um, this stuff's insidious. And so mm -hmm. I just pray for a breaking of those strongholds and continue to pray for that. So, and I would love to pray for you, whatever you've got going. What, what can we pray for you? <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Definitely. I guess, uh, yeah, just prayer for Alana and I, my co-host and I would love prayer for the podcast and just vision direction. Um, we're working on a book, um, that we're, we're not sure when it's going to release, but we're working on it behind the scenes. And so just prayer for wisdom and clarity for that and timing. Um, those are the big things just for the podcast and just, yeah. Okay. Oh, and I want to say I have a book coming out called Marriage Interrupted, and it's at the printer right now. Ooh. And it's kind of the backstory of three different things that happened in our marriage at one time. And it's very funny. There's lots of funny stories, but then there's also these marriage principles that because um, I dealt with Crohn's and with the family estrangement and then job issues with our marriage all at the same time. And so it's navigating conflict as a couple. Oh, I love I that. So when is that going to come out? It'll probably be out in about a month. Okay. So right now we are recording beginning of August. So that might, um, that might correspond around the time that we release this episode. Oh, so we'll okay. say like September ish. So I'll keep track yeah. of, you know, I'll keep track and let people know. Great. Thanks. Uh, sorry. Just making lots of notes here just so that I get all the relevant information to our listeners. All right, Julie. Um, all right. Well, let's pray. Thank you again okay. so much for being here, for sharing your story and just for allowing God's redemption in your life and his redeeming power. Encourage other people as I, I really know that it's going to. Great. All right. God, we just thank you so much for this time with Julie. Thank you for just um, her story. Thank you for 
the ways that you have answered her prayers and and just her her cries out to you with such specificity and such power and um I just thank you. I know that's encouraging to me just to be reminded of the fact that you are at work in powerful ways in our lives and that you you long for us to invite you in and and we just pray God for each of us that you would help us just stoke that fire in our hearts to um to go to you to pray to rely on you when we're at the end of our rope to to not be afraid to grab hold of you and and just wait and see what you're going to do um we lift up Julie's family to you God we just lift up her marriage and pray that you would be at work in her marriage to draw them independently closer to you and in doing so closer to each other. Um, we pray for the release of this book on marriage. I just know how it works and attacks come where we're working for you. And we just pray your absolute protection over their marriage and over um, Julie's writing and ministry and creativity as she gets ready to launch this book into the world. We just pray that no weapon formed against her or her marriage or her work or ministry would prosper and that you would just launch her forward, launch this new book forward, launch estranged forward into the hands of women that need it desperately. Lord, we just pray that your word would go out and not return empty. We pray for salvations to happen as a result of Julie's work and her words and her ministry. We pray that brokenness would be mended. We pray that women who felt hopeless would find a sense of hope and joy in Julie's words and just in going to you with what they thought was a lost cause. We just thank you that there are no lost causes with you, Lord. Um, we just pray over Julie's family and pray against any kind of generational curse Um of estrangement or, or toxic relationships that, that they'd be broken for good in Jesus name. We thank you for the relationship she has with her children and just pray you would protect those relationships as well. And um, just keep them bound together through the cord of Christ. And that we pray that those relationships would just continue to flourish. And I thank you for that beautiful relationship with her mother that she has that friendship that she longed for and prayed for. And we continue to pray for even more healing to happen in Julie's family relationships, that there would be total, complete restoration of every family member in Jesus' name. And God, we thank you for this time and just pray you would bless it, set it apart for yourself and just allow like the loaves and fishes, God, that this time that we had together would just be just a fraction of the fruit and the, the, the kingdom glory that would come. In, in the days and weeks and months and years to come as, as people hear Julie's story and, and are just brought to an intersection of, um, of, of just encountering you in the midst of their um, family turmoil and, and in their grief and in their unforgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show. 
and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.